5 billion kilometers to Earth, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome, I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. Some of you got that science fiction reference, right? We're not talking about oldie but goodie British sci-fi films. Our topic is the gloriously successful asteroid sample return accomplished by Hayabusa 2, the Japanese mission that is now voyaging to two other asteroids. Hayabusa 2 project manager Yuichi Tsuda is here to tell us about his spacecraft and the great science it has enabled. Then we'll travel even further across the void to Saturn for the answer to this week's space trivia contest, courtesy of Bruce Betts. Bruce will also give us another What's Up review of the night sky. I can't feel much better than I do when I see fresh wheel tracks on the red planet. So, I'm a happy Mars camper looking at this week's edition of the Downlink. It's topped by an image taken by the Perseverance rover of its own mark on Mars. Just below are these headlines, beginning with a big sigh of relief. The 30-year-old Hubble Space Telescope is back in full operation after a software glitch put it in safe mode for a few days. Hang on, old friend. The JWST is coming soon. Speaking of old friends, NASA's SOFIA Observatory, the big infrared telescope carried by a 747, has discovered carbon in a comet. If you're going to have carbon-based life forms, you probably need several good helpings of element number six, and there seems to be plenty out there. Northrop Grumman will be developing the small two-stage rocket that will carry samples of Mars back to Earth. The NASA contract is another step in the sample return process begun by Perseverance. Want more? You'll find it every week at planetary.org downlink. There are only a few days left to become part of the Planetary Society's 2021 Virtual Day of Action. Chief Advocate Casey Dreyer needs everyone on board before the online training session on March 28th. You can learn more at planetary.org slash dayofaction. Back to those 5 billion kilometers. That's roughly how far Hayabusa 2 had to travel to reach Ryugu and return. It was only when it had almost reached the asteroid that Yuichi Tsuda and his team saw how difficult sample return would be. Almost all of Ryugu is covered with boulders, big ones that could seriously damage the spacecraft as it approached. This was just one of the challenges met as Hayabusa 2 managed to grab not one but two samples from the surface. It also dropped similarly successful mini-rovers, including one built by Germany and France. And as you're about to hear, it blew its own 18-meter-wide crater in Ryugu so that it could look below that messy surface. There was plenty of reason for celebration when, after six years in space, the probe finally sent its sample return capsule streaking through Earth's atmosphere to the Australian outback. And it's not done yet, so neither is Yuichi. He joined me a few days ago from JAXA, the Japanese space agency. Dr. Tsuda, congratulations. Uh, I say that on behalf of myself, uh, all the members of the Planetary Society, and all the listeners to this show. Uh, It has been absolutely wonderful to see the tremendous success of the Hayabusa 2 mission. And welcome to Planetary Radio. 
Yeah, thank you for inviting me to this uh, radio. And yeah, the Hayabusa 2 is a really great success, even for us. I'm very proud of that. You should be. Uh, six years, five billion kilometers out there to the asteroid and back. Where were you on December 6th of last year, 2020, when the sample return capsules streaked across the sky and, and came to rest in the Australian outback? Were you in Australia? Unfortunately, no. Uh, I wanted to be there, but the, I was actually in the Sagamihara Space Operations Center. That's a control room of the spacecraft located in the uh, center of Japan. So I was controlling the spacecraft so that the spacecraft worked perfectly to the end to separate the reentry capsule uh, precisely to Australia. And also the, after that, spacecraft has to continue, had to continue uh, the flight to an extended mission. So I have to be on the control room to take care of the spacecraft itself. Obviously, someone had to stay at home and, and drive the spacecraft. But I know that there was a very excited reaction when you learned that the sample return capsule had arrived on the ground in one piece. Uh, that must have been absolutely thrilling. Yes, yes, exactly. So when I saw the uh, fireball in the sky of the Australia, actually through the internet, the time was exact. Uh, within one second of error, also the direction was perfect. For us, Hayabusa 2 team, it was a time we physically viewed the appearance of the, uh, the spacecraft. And before that, I, we just watched the, uh, the status of Hayabusa 2 through the uh, telemetry and data displayed on the computer. So like a virtual. At that moment, we could watch uh, physically the spacecraft. Uh, that's the uh, wonderful moment also for me and the team. Almost as exciting as, as being there in the Australian outback, I'm sure. It was a perfect ending to a essentially perfect mission. The capsule came back, I read, in excellent condition. Was it in better condition than you expected? Yes, it, the, the capsule's condition was perfect and uh, almost as expected. We found the, the landed capsule actually a few hours after the landing. Then after that, we brought uh, the capsule back to the facility and opened that immediately. Everything was as planned and the, the, the condition of the capsule was very clean. We could not almost imagine that that capsule uh, traveled uh, more than 5 billion kilometer in the interplanetary field. Very, very clean, like new. Truly amazing. I, I did just read that as we speak, the capsule may be put on display in a museum there in Japan so that the members of the public can see it. Is, the, is that still uh, happening? Yes, yes uh, yeah. We are planning that in a few days from now. We are going to display that to the public. But uh, we are still... Uh, watching the condition of a situation of the corona COVID-19. Mm. We will decide uh, soon. But in the Hayabusa 1 era in 2010, we did the same things. We displayed the return sample to public. And at that time, uh, many, many people came to see the capsule from all over the Japan. 
that was surprising for for me, like uh, the space science community, that so many people are interested in space missions. I'm not a bit surprised because we at the Planetary Society know how the public is often extremely excited to be able to participate in these successes. Speaking of participating in these successes, I saw a uh, an image on the Hayabusa 2 website of those two micro SD cards that contained the names and messages of members of the Planetary Society and many, many other people, and that apparently they came back in good condition and you're able to read the data off of those? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. So I have to thank the Planetary Society to collaborate with us. There are many names and messages in the, um, the micro SD card contained in the Renter capsule, and that was already opened and the data was retrieved. To tell the truth, I was expecting some errors because of the uh, cosmic radiation effect. Sure. But in reality, uh, what we confirmed that there was no error. So <laughs> that all the names and the message are contained as it was installed uh, six years ago. And it's, it works like a time capsule. So many of you may uh, already forget what you put as a message to the uh, SD card, but you will be able to remember soon. I look forward to uh, looking up my own message. Uh, I know my name was uh, was carried by uh, Hayabusa 2 to the asteroid and back. Oh, you, you also did that. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, I'm a member of the society for one thing, but, <laughs> but I wouldn't have missed the <laughs> opportunity. There were some other messages, messages of congratulations, and I promise we're going to talk more about the science and the spacecraft, but if you'll allow me to celebrate a little bit more with you uh, for a moment or two here, there are messages on the Hayabusa 2 website, uh, the mission website, from a number of leaders of uh, space agencies around the world. And there is a colleague of yours, Dante Loretta. I know you know Dante well. Uh, he's been a guest of ours on Planetary Radio uh, several times. Uh, and of course, he is the principal investigator for OSIRIS-REx, the other asteroid sample return mission out there. If you'll indulge me, I'd like to play that message uh, that he sent to congratulate you and your team. Here it is. It's very brief. To Sudasan and the Hayabusa 2 team, Hayabusa 2 ga kaitekimasu. Anata wa dekshi o tsukurimashita. Seiko, omerito gozaimasu. I'm incredibly proud of the accomplishments of the Hayabusa 2 team. This mission has been groundbreaking in so many areas. Exploration of asteroid Yugu has shed new light on our understanding of the formation of our solar system and the properties and, and future of near-Earth asteroids. I'm particularly proud of our ongoing collaboration where we have worked together to understand both asteroid Bennu and asteroid Yugu, interpret the results in terms of understanding the history of our planet, why Earth is a habitable world, and how the origin of life occurred here. And I'm particularly excited to get those Hayabusa 2 samples into our laboratories to perform detailed investigations and further our understanding of the properties of asteroid Yugu and looking forward to comparing those to the samples from asteroid Bennu in just a few short years. Congratulations again on a historic, amazing accomplishment. Everybody here has been cheering for you and rooting for you. And we're very proud of the amazing sample return from asteroid Yugu. Gambate kudasai. 
So Dante Loretta, leader of the OSIRIS-REx mission, he has talked on our program a number of times about this collaboration between your team with Hayabusa 2 and his. I think this is an important component of, of both missions. Do you feel that way? Yes, yes, sure. Yeah, Dante is a, a good friend of mine for around 10 years. And we have been discussing how to do the exploration of the unexplored asteroids, both from engineering point of view and also from the scientific point of view. And we have been shared the, the same type of problems and same type of difficulties for a long time. So for, for me, he, he is a very long time special friend. Because of the, this type of collaboration, the both missions are mutually stimulated and motivated. I sometimes explain to JAXA's upper level or to the government that, hey, OREX is doing in this way, so we have to be more smart. <laughs> or, and in that way, we can propose uh, more challenging things or sometimes more budget. Oh, that's good. Uh, Dante has also told me how much uh, his team was able to learn from Hayabusa 1 because of the information that was shared there. And I know that you have also talked about, you know, that mission, which was also successful. In fact, there is a news item just recently about some science that has come from the sample returned by Hayabusa 1. But it was a troubled mission. Did you learn a lot? Did it help prepare you for Hayabusa 2? Yes, yes. Uh, actually, I learned a lot. I was My career as a space engineer started from the Hayabusa 1. Hayabusa 1 was launched in 2003. At that time, I joined the JAXA, and I joined the, the uh, Hayabusa 1 team. Since then, the Hayabusa 1 faced many, many troubles, and the, uh, the landing was not perfectly success, but just faintly retrieved the samples of asteroid Itokawa. After that, the, the spacecraft lost the communication for a few tens of days. Very fortunately, we could re-establish the communication. The fuel was lost after that because of the leakage in the pipe. By using the another uh, the backup uh, strategy, then we could finally uh, bring the spacecraft back to Earth. And each moment, this Hayabusa 1 team worked very hard to solve the problem. And I watched the way the team was solving the problem. Not always depending on the pre-planned uh, way, but uh, sometimes the team solved the problem in a totally different way using the uh, equipment that was not uh, expected to be used for that specific function. And in that way, we could finally bring the spacecraft back to the Earth. From that uh, experience, we learned a lot. And for, for the Hayabusa 2 mission, I am the lead of the engineering of the spacecraft. So I tried to uh, reflect all the lessons learned from Hayabusa 1. I didn't want to experience again the bad experience of the Hayabusa 1. So for, for in that since the Hayabusa 1 was a good teacher for the Hayabusa 2. It is a very inspiring story. Really, a success grab from the 
the jaws of defeat, as we might say. I don't know if you had heard this story. It came out just a couple of days before our conversation that this one tiny bit of dust, and it was given the name Amazon because apparently it looks like the continent of South America, has been revealed to contain water and organics. What an amazing science result to get from this spacecraft that almost didn't make it back to Earth. Uh, actually, I uh, haven't noticed about that news. Oh, so you know oh, better than I'm me. I'm glad to tell you yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, but but there sometimes earlier than that news, there was a, I think the another uh, research finding uh, the clue of water in the sample of Itokawa. Yeah, the, the surprising thing is that the Hibsa one returned ten years ago. And the, after 10 years, the, the research is still continuing. Mm, yes. So the return sample is really a treasure for scientists. Like a sample of the moon by Apollo missions, the research continues for several decades. Equip, equipment on ground evolved time by time. So once we got the sample from the uh, other celestial body, then we can make a research with the uh, latest instruments on ground accessed by many worldwide scientists and they can do their own uh, research in their own labs. That's the important thing. It's also a great lesson considering the much larger sample that has now been returned by Hayabusa 2, which uh, I'm sure will be delivering the same sort of science for many, many years to come. Before we talk more about the sample return, I, I hope that you can talk a little bit about the science that Hayabusa 2 conducted at Ryugu even before, I mean, while it was at the asteroid still. What, what did we learn about the asteroid uh, even before that journey back to Earth began? First of all, uh, before we arrive at the Ryugu, only thing we know is uh, from the, the, uh, the light spot observed through the ground-based telescope. And that's only information we have to plan the mission. After we arrive at the Ryugu, we are surprised that the shape is so odd. <laughs> it uh, looks like a top shape, what we call top shape. Actually, the top shape is the, uh, the popular shape among the uh, asteroid scientists. For example, the, the Bennu, which is a target of the OREX mission, was known to have the top shape from the later observation. But uh, for, for the uh, Ryugu, we didn't have such a later observation uh, due to the uh, geometrical constraints between uh, Earth and the, the Ryugu. So we are surprised that the Ryugu is also the top shape. Just by chance, we became the first uh, mankind to visit the top shape just before the OREX mission. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, the next thing we are surprised is that the surface of Ryugu was bumpy and covered with uh, numerous rocks all over the globe. We thought that there were no safe place to land the spacecraft. Again, this, much like Bendy. Yeah, yeah, so the, the, that terrain feature is also found in Bennu. In that sense, we, we share the, the same headache 
both in Bennu <laughs> and Rifu.、Uh, Because of that, we had to completely change our strategy for, to, to make a successful landing.、Uh, we delayed the,、uh, the, our original schedule by four months to change the strategy and make a more、uh, fine observation of the asteroids and to reprogram the spacecraft to do the more precise landing.、Hmm. There were many, many difficulties. And for me,、uh, after we succeeded in that, I, I thought that's a, the best experience for me from the, the other engineers.、Uh, finally, we succeeded in、uh, landing to the、uh, surface of the asteroid with the landing accuracy of one meter.、Uh, wow. So,、uh, you, you know, the、uh, asteroid itself is 3,000 million kilometers away from the Earth. So, With that distance, one meter accuracy landing. So that's、uh, more than satisfactory. Oh, I think it's quite satisfactory, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. That's Hayabusa 2 project manager Yuichi Tsuda. He has more to share, including a brief look ahead toward a Japanese mission to the moons of Mars. Stay with us. Space exploration doesn't just happen. In a democracy, Where you're competing against other priorities and resources, we need to maintain a constant engagement in the political process to ensure the types of missions we want to see in the future. I'm Casey Dreyer. I'm the chief advocate here at the Planetary Society. I'm asking you to consider making a donation to our program of space policy and advocacy that works every single day to promote your values in space science and exploration to the people who make the decisions in our democracy. Your donations. Keep us independent, keep us engaged, and keep us effective. Go to planetary.org slash takeaction. That's planetary.org slash takeaction. Thank you. Can I explain the whole history within the,、uh, sure. the proximity yeah, of Fishing Ryugu? A, a, brief, a、yeah. brief history would be great.、Uh, just briefly, okay. So、uh, after the first landing was succeeded,、uh, successful,、uh, that was、uh, February 2019. Uh, one and a half months later,、uh, we did uh, new uh, challenges, which was to dig a hole or make an artificial crater on the surface of an asteroid by the、uh, kinetic impacting. For that, we developed the uh, Nobel uh, device uh, called a small carrion impactor, and that was very successful. And finally, we could make、uh, the、uh, 18 meter diameter and three meter depth big hole. On the surface of asteroid. And through that,、uh, we could obtain the,、uh, the subsurface information, not only the surface information, but also the subsurface information of the asteroid or the internal structure of the asteroid. After that, one thing we wanted to do is bring the subsurface material back to Earth. So, for that、uh, purpose,、uh, we attempted to do the second touchdown. About、uh, three months later. And there was、uh, actually the huge discussion whether we have to do,、uh, we should do the second touchdown or not.、Mm. But after the, the thorough discussion and the technical and scientific investigations,、uh, we decided to do that. On、uh, July 11th, we did the,、uh, uh, in 2019, we did the second touchdown. And that was、uh, also the very successful. And at that time, the landing accuracy was small as 60 centimeters.、Uh. So、uh, we 
uh, expect to get the uh, subsurface material. So after that, we return to the Earth. We already opened contents of the capsule, and we already confirmed that the, the samples from two sites are included in the samples. So I hope we can say something about the uh, component ingredient of Ryugu soon. Absolutely, yes. I, I, and, I, and as you said, laboratories around the world looking forward to getting uh, portions of that sample. Before you go on to that, though, I have to mention this amazing image. We have a copy of it on the Planetary Society website that was taken, I read, about three seconds after Hayabusa 2 fired that impactor for the small carry-on impactor experiment at the surface of Ryugu. And you can actually see the material being blown off of the surface of the asteroid. It is uh, truly one of the most amazing images I've ever seen come from uh, elsewhere in the solar system. Yeah, yeah it's a really a dynamic image or dynamic movie. Yeah, and the, uh, we are also surprised that that kind of very uh, drastic reaction occurs. Hmm. Actually, we had the worst case scenario and the best case scenario in the and the. Uh, uh, always we are based, uh, we try to be based on the worst case scenario. And in the, that case, the, we expected to have like one meter or two meter crater was generated. But the, in the reality, what we found is that more than 18 meter diameter and the, the huge ejecta was blown up in the air to as high as like 40 meter or so. So it's a very drastic uh, wow. response. You make quite an impression, quite an impact on uh, asteroid Ryugu, <laughs> one might say. We will get to the samples, but I also want to mention these passengers that you were carrying on Hayabusa 2 that you also delivered to Ryugu. In particular, that little lander called Mascot that was built by uh, the DLR, the German Space Agency, in collaboration with JAXA and Kness, the French uh, agency. And that resulted in even more stunning images from right there at the, at the surface of, of the asteroid. I hope that people will either visit our website or yours, and we'll provide these uh, URLs, the web addresses, on this week's show page at planetary.org slash radio. But you must have been pleased by the success of, of Mascot and the other little uh, spacecraft that you carried. Yeah, the, uh, we had three... Japanese rovers called Minerva 2 and also the uh, mascot lander uh, by the, the German and the French partners. They are all successful. As you said, the uh, images and uh, uh, there, there are other science data, but the uh, especially images are very exciting to see. Stunning. Yeah, it's the, uh, the scenery just in front of the robot on the surface. So the resolution of that image is less than one millimeter mm. and it's a color image yeah it's just wonderful to see the uh the scenery of the uh outer celestial body it's a new world it really is literally okay those samples are they making our portions of the sample now in laboratories in japan and have they started to make their way across the world yes so after we open the uh container of the capsule, then we uh, first measure the weight of the sample, which the mass of the samples, 
and which was 5.4 gram, our criteria or mission requirement was 0.1 gram. So <laughs> uh, compared to that, uh, 54 times heavier than that. Very so good return on investment. More than <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. We have three chambers, chamber A, B, C, and chamber A contained the sample from the first touchdown, and the chamber C contained the uh, samples from the second touchdown. And the chamber B was open between touchdown number one and number two. And we uh, confirmed, uh, we saw uh, some very fine grains in the chamber B. So that's also, that will be also interesting to investigate. Now in the uh, curation facility in Sagamihara, we are picking up the each sample from the chamber one by one. Each grain sizes from like uh, less than one millimeter to up to one centimeter. Hmm. So, so one centimeter, one centimeter sample is is looks like a stone. So, and we are now making a catalog of what we got. And soon in early summer, we will start to analyze the compounds of the material. So what we call the initial analysis. And through that, we want to confirm uh, how much, especially carbon-related material and also the water-related material are contained in that sample. Because the uh, for, for the hypersatil mission, carbon and water is a the theme of our science. The scientists, I'm sure, cannot wait to get these particles into their spectrometers and start to look for these organics, which, uh, because I know this was a carbonaceous asteroid, largely consisting of carbon compounds in water, it's a cliche to say so, but we are talking here, aren't we, about the building blocks of life. Yes, yes. We are focusing on the, uh, the, the organic compounds, uh, also the hydraulic minerals. We already estimated from the uh, Institute Observation in Ryugu that the sample is estimated to have uh, contain some organic material and also the hydraulic minerals. But we do not know the, exactly uh, what type of compounds we have, especially for the, the, the molecular, uh, a molecular number of the, uh, the organic compounds if we have very large molecular number, that means that material is composed of series of carbon atoms. Very complex molecules. Very long chain of the carbon atom. That's right, that's right. So the complex the molecules can be related to the life it's easier. So through investigating that way, so we may, we may know how complicated material exists in the universe outside the earth so important i'm i'm thinking because also while we have all the meteorites that uh, have covered the surface of, surface of earth for billions of years these are exactly the sorts of complex molecules and volatile compounds which don't last more than in some cases minutes or hours or days or weeks in a meteorite that hits Earth. And isn't this part of why it's so important to pick up these pristine samples from, from asteroids and bring them home? That's right. So the, all the meteoroids 
came through the、uh, atmospheric reentries. So, so the, at least the surface, the information was buried or changed due to the、uh, very high temperature.、Uh, also, the, because the meteorite stays very long on the surface of the, the Earth, so the contents should be changed. But the direct sample from the asteroid, the sample itself is contained within the, the very tightly sealed chamber. In the reentry capsule, the contents inside the、uh, capsule h a s never experienced the Earth's atmosphere, even though the, the capsule itself experienced the reentry. And the, the contents was directly transported to the、uh, curation facility,、uh, which are clean and the environment is、uh, controlled and isolated from the Earth's environment. So now we have a very pure, pristine material as it was in, in space. That's important scientifically. So, really, the best part of the mission may be yet to come because it will come from the science that is, that is performed using these samples. And as we mentioned earlier, Hayabusa 2's work is, is not done either. Where is it headed now, and is the spacecraft in good condition for the, the years ahead and its next targets? Yes, after the,、uh, the capsule was separated to head to Earth, the,、uh, the main spacecraft、uh, diverted from the reentry corridor and flew away from Earth again. Now,、uh, as a mission extension, or we can say it's a bonus mission,、yes. we are aiming at visiting. Two new asteroids.、Uh, one is named 2001 CC21, and the, the, another is 1998 KY26. Those two are new to humankind and also very scientifically interesting. The first target, 2001 CC21,、uh, we will do the flyby in 2026,、uh, five years from now. For to the 1998 KY26, we will arrive there, rendezvous there. In 2031, 10 years from now. And the, the spacecraft condition is、uh, currently very healthy, and the fuel left aboard the spacecraft is、uh, more than 50%. Mm, excellent. Which means that we can do the similar type of travel as a round trip mission to Ryugu to the new target. So we want to make full use of、uh, it to pursue extra science. 2031, as we have heard many times on this program, exploring the solar system requires a great deal of patience. That's right, that's right. 10 years,、uh, 10 years is、uh, short for space engineers and space, space scientists. <laughs> Or we, we have to,、uh, at least we have to think like that. I also read that these other asteroids, which Hayabusa 2 will visit, They play a part in、uh, another area of research, which I know is important to you and is important to a lot of us if, who live here on Earth, and that is planetary defense.、Uh, is that element of the mission、um, an important one to everyone on the Hayabusa 2 team? Yes, yes that's right.、Uh, the planetary defense is、uh, actually also a small part of our mission objective in the Hayabusa 2 mission, the original Hayabusa 2 mission. But for the extended mission, we put the planetary defense as one of the big pillars of our objectives. 
because the uh, uh, we are going to visit two asteroids. The first one, 2000 we will do the first flyby, and you know, which is going to be a very precise, controlled, very close flyby. Which means that if we can, uh, we, we can do in the same same strategy, we'll be able to hit impact the asteroid. But instead of that, we will try to fly the spacecraft very close to the asteroid. So it's like an impact experiment of the spacecraft. So, so for, for uh, from the engineering point of view of the planetary defense, the orbit deflection is one of the key technology to be studied to avoid the uh, impact of the asteroid to the Earth. So this technology is expected to connect to that future future technology. And also the, the second target, 9091 KY26, that's really an interesting asteroid. Its size is only uh, around 30 meters. So it's very small. And the rotation period is as fast as 10 minutes. Mm. So it's very fast to rotate the asteroid. Many of these asteroids exist around the Earth's orbit. And sometimes they came into the uh, Earth's atmosphere once in a million years or once in 10 million years and make a uh, vast disaster. Yes. So that kind of very small and fast rotated asteroids are the good target to investigate scientifically to know more about the target of the planetary defense. It's another very important step as we uh, learn how to defend our planet in you know ways that the dinosaurs weren't able to. Um, it is good to hear that it has this element as That's well. Right. Before we close our conversation, I hope that you can say something about another very exciting mission, which is uh, coming up from JAXA, and that is the Martian Moons Exploration, or MMX mission, to uh, Phobos and Deimos, uh, launching, I believe, in 2024. Aren't these, in a way, also asteroid missions? Because I, I know the thinking is that those two moons, once upon a time, were asteroids. Yes, yes, yeah. The MMS is uh, scheduled, uh, planned to be launched in 2024 and explore the Martian moons. The mission was originally uh, inspired by the uh, Hayabusa 2 mission. So uh, actually, I was one of the, the proposers of that mission initially. The Phobos is about 10 times larger than Ryugu, so, so the environment is a little bit different from the uh, asteroid. And also the, the Phobos is trapped in the Mars gravity. So, so the spacecraft has to first go to Mars orbit and then uh, reach Phobos. And in the return phase, we have to leave Phobos and then escape from the Mars gravity and then uh, return to the Earth. So it's uh, more complicated with the bigger uh, propulsion systems and the, the strategy are a little bit, actually very different from the Hypersa 2 mission. But uh, we, we know uh, how to deal with the sample return mission. And after we arrive at the uh, targeted celestial body, then uh, we can apply our technology to land or access to the surface of the uh, that bodies. So in that sense, the MMX is a strongly 
based on the technical heritage of IMSA too. I, I am very personally looking forward to that. And from my perspective, I hope this, like a descendant of IMSA too, will do well in its mission. That would be a, a descendant to be very proud of. Uh, and with those samples returned from Phobos, which is the target for sample return, I know, it is just possible that we will be getting back a sample from Mars itself, isn't it? I mean, because there is material from Mars that has ended up on Phobos. MMX could be a Mars sample return mission. Yes, yes. Yeah, so so going to Mars surface, it's very challenging. Uh, NASA is already been doing so, but returning the sample from Mars is even difficult. Yes. But yeah, as, as you said, that some of the uh, particles or samples of Mars may exist in the surface of the Phobos. And that's something we want, uh, we are aiming at by the Phobos sample return. Dr. Tsuda, you have painted a very bright picture of the future, both for Hayabusa 2 and MMX. And um, we know that JAXA has many other plans underway. But of course, our purpose here is largely to congratulate you again on the tremendous success of this mission that you have led as the project manager. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today to tell us about Hayabusa 2. And uh, best of success to you and your team and, uh, and JAXA with all of these great plans for the future. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to introduce about the, uh, the Hayabusa 2 to the public and the world and also in the U.S. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Yuichi Tsuda leads the Hayabusa 2 team that has successfully returned material from asteroid Ryugu. I think I need to apologize before we turn to what's up. By the time I discovered a problem with my audio track, it was too late to re-record this week's segment with Bruce. Maybe you can pretend I'm talking to you in a Zoom session? On second thought, I'd hate to subject you to another one of those. Hey, it's time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. So, the chief scientist of the Planetary Society is here. He's here every week to tell us about the night sky and bring us a contest and random space facts. There's just so, so much. Welcome back. Thank you. Joy will be had. By all. <laughs> well, most people. Almost all. There's a couple of people over there in the corner who look kind of sad. Hey, over there, cheer up. Bruce is here. Hey, I'm here. And hey, night sky, still cool after all these years and millennia. And well, you get the idea. <laughs> Evening sky, uh, still got Mars and Aldebaran and Taurus looking very similar like twins in the southern southwestern sky, pretty high up. And Mars will be to the upper right of Aldebaran in the early evening or mid-evening. And uh, they are similar in brightness, similar in color. On the 19th, they will be near the moon as well. And uh, in the few days after that, they'll be at their closest point together, about 7 degrees. That's, uh, that's about 14 moon diameters for those playing the home game. And in the pre-dawn sky, uh, getting higher all the time are Jupiter and Saturn. Jupiter looking super bright, Saturn looking yellowish up above it, and they are low in the east, very low in the pre-dawn. We'll be getting higher over coming months. Have to admit they're getting higher. They're getting higher. I just saw a Ringo Starr uh, interviewed by Stephen Colbert. So I did too. It was so cool. Wasn't that great? He looks like he's young, much younger than us. He looks like he's about 
Maybe not much younger than you, actually, but a lot younger than me. <laughs> well, he looks good. <laughs> he does, yeah. He's the Ringo Man. On to this week in space history. It was 10 years ago that Messenger went into orbit around Mercury, the first Mercury orbiter. Going back further to 1965, this week the first spacewalk occurred by Alexei Leonov of the Soviet Union. And moving forward to a dark day that was hidden from much of the world for a long time, in 1980, uh, 50 workers died at the Soviet launch pad in a rocket explosion. On to random space fact. Not the way the Beatles would do it, but not bad. <laughs> not good, not Beatles. Uh, <laughs> Maybe wings. Maybe wings would do it. I would love to speculate with you on this, but I think we'll need a different podcast. So instead, I will tell you about something you've been hearing about, Hayabusa 2. They had what they called a solar sail mode. I don't know if you know it, Matt, but I'm kind of into solar sailing. A little. It wasn't a solar sail, but they used solar radiation pressure, this push of light used by solar sails for propulsion. They used it to help control the spacecraft orientation during several months of the mission uh, and were able to use just one reaction wheel to change the orientation of the spacecraft on one axis rather than having to use all of them. Uh, it was designed in part using lessons learned from their solar sail mission, Icarus. I did not know this. Had I known, I might have brought it up with uh, Dr. Tsuda, but, but I'm very glad that you have. He published papers uh, talking about it. <laughs> no. All right, we move on to the trivia question I asked you. Of the spacecraft, which used Venus for a gravity assist maneuver, which went farthest out in the solar system? How'd we do, Matt? A moderate but very nice response this time around. And we got this poem, which is really quite impressive, from uh, Gene Lewin in uh, the state of Washington. And so I'm going to let him answer the question, and, and you can confirm. In order to travel to planets afar and sometimes out of our galaxy's hood, the assistance of forces provided by mass are used and results are quite good. Approaching a planet, and sometimes the sun, can serve as a way to change speed and adjust the velocity to such a point that lets us get to the place that we need. Cassini employed this racket, we know, and traveled furthest of those on this list. Even Serena, the noted queen of the court, in doubles needed a Venus assist. <laughs> Surprise ending. Didn't see it coming. No, neither did I. I was reading it. Uh, Gene, hey, uh, congratulations and thank you. Is he correct? Is it Cassini? It is indeed Cassini. Multiple spacecraft have used Venus for gravity assist. Cassini went the farthest out all the way to Saturn. Our winner, and he's a first-time winner once again, Ben Drought, who said, yep, Cassini performed two gravity assist flybys, Venus, just a Venus, and then those others, Earth and, and Jupiter. Ben, who is in Dubuque, Des Moines, Davenport, Marshalltown, Mason City, Keokuk, Ames, Clear Lake, <laughs> ought to give Iowa a try. <laughs> I'm not saying which of those he lives in, but it, it's one of those. Congratulations, Ben. We are going to send you that copy of The Lion of Mars by the award-winning children's author, Jennifer Holm. Uh, it's a terrific book for young adults, and uh, we'll throw in a Planetary Society rubber asteroid as well. Uh, Darren Ritchie, he says, <laughs> we're full of music today. Well, a cheer anyway. Give me a V. Give me a V. 
Give me an E. Give me a J. What does it spell? Saturn. <laughs> yes, uh, the the initials were often used to describe the uh, seemingly crazy orbital mechanics maneuvers used to uh, fly by planets to get out there to Saturn. From Laura Dodd in California, Northern California, now I wonder if Cassini also traveled the greatest number of miles during its mission to and around and around Saturn, which I doubt. Wouldn't Voyager 1 have an edge just for traveling for so many years? Oh, yeah. Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. Ola Franzen in Sweden, although I understand the principle, it always fascinates me that going the, quote, wrong way, unquote, first makes the best journey, makes for the best journey. And finally, from our poet laureate, Dave Fairchild, when our Galileo went to Jupiter to play, it got a gravity assist from Venus on the way. Cassini said, that's good for you, but I can do better. I'm headed out to Saturn, where I'll be the new pace setter. <laughs> Thank you all. Here's a question for you for next time. What was the Hayabusa 2 small carry-on impactors projectile made of? This is the SCI. There are more than one projectile on the Hayabusa 2, or there were. So uh, pay attention. Small carry-on impactors projectile. What was it made of? Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. And I did come across this in my research, but it did not come up in the conversation with Dr. Tsuda. So yes. uh, go for it, folks. You have until the 24th, that's March 24th, Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time. And you know what I discovered? We have a lot of great books piling up at the office. <laughs> and so, I mean, these are, these are great, great space books. And uh, I think we're going to give away a series of these. Beginning with this extra copy we got, one we gave away some time ago, by Wade Roosh, a great science writer, called Extraterrestrials from MIT Press. It's a, it's a fun little book. It goes through the various answers people have given to that question from Enrico Fermi. Where is everybody? It can be yours if you were chosen by random.org and uh, hit us with the right answer for this one. Keep those cards and letters coming. Well, no, we don't need cards and letters. But if you want to send us a nice card, why not? I think we're done. All right, everybody, go out there, look up in the night sky, and think about what object in the solar system you'd like to hit with a two kilometer per second projectile. Thank you. Good night. It's that asteroid out there that has my hometown's name on it. I want to hit it with... <laughs> What'd you say, two kilometers a second? I think I want to hit it about... Mm, 400 years before it impacts. Will that do? <laughs> that should do. <laughs> Depending on how big it is, we'll have to look into your hometown. Uh, it's a good-sized town. It's Bruce Betts, the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, who is here every week for What's Up. I'm back in full voice. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its members throughout the world. Mark Hilverdez, our associate producer, Josh Doyle, composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. At Astra.